Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 is a church in Goodyear Heights seeking to invite people into Jesus's family. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For more information about us, including our service times, address, and live stream information, please go to 539.church or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Well, thank you, Anna, and if I have not had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Mike, and I would love to meet you afterwards, and just for those of you to know how important today is for us, not that it is just our three, our third week together, we're only three weeks old as a church, isn't that pretty cool? But uh, as our serve team fair, uh, it is very important for us as we pray and ask God what he wants us to do as far as a second service. And so we would like to do that rather quickly um, here this month, but we really need those slots filled. And so if we can fill those slots, uh, next week you'll hear from us on dates and times and things like that. So if you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Luke chapter 18? If you're new to the Bible, it's on page set, or page 824 in front of you uh, under the chair. But if you're new, I'm going to give you some time to get there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, the one under the chair is a gift to you. Uh, the security team will not accuse you for stealing if you take that on your way out. So you can just grab that thing and take it home. Uh, as we're in this series, Hotel or Hospital, being week three, uh, just to catch some of you up to speed if you're new, this series we've been kind of identifying what we are, who we are as a church, that we are not a hotel, uh, but we're a hospital, meaning we are not just here to consume and for amenities and to be around a bunch of people who look like us, smell like us, unless you stink, we don't want to smell like you, but either way, you would be around people who are not like you around people who, if you're a hospital, we're all broken, and uh, that you would find a family. And really, we have three values as a church. Uh, to no surprise, we are all about Jesus. Uh, every single week when we gather, we try to, what we say, get under the book. Meaning, if I'm thinking something and God thinks something different, chances are I am wrong, and we try to live under his authority. Number two, we're a hospital, and we're talking about that today. And number three, we are a family. Uh, when we started this church, we saw a need of people who need a spiritual family, not just a service to attend, but a family to belong to, and we desire that tremendously as a church. I would like you to think about a time uh, when you were trying to impress someone, and it didn't really go as you planned. Maybe you were trying to impress your boss Maybe you're trying to impress your neighbor, maybe a coworker. Uh, in my case, I'll just kind of lay it all out there. There was a time, and I still do today, where I was trying to impress my wife. Uh, she was not my wife at the time. She was a girl at school, and uh, you know we were in upstate New York, and there was some guys on the basketball team that they had approached me, and they said, hey, have you seen this girl named Hope, which is my wife's name? And I said, no, I haven't seen her. And so they all started talking about her, and they were saying, oh my, she's, you know, the best looking and the smartest and this and that. And people at Bible college, they're kind of crazy, if you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like Christian school. They find, you know, someone, and then they try to marry them within the week. So anyway, they were approaching me and saying, hey, uh, I would like to date her, you know, things like that. What do you think I should do? And I had never met her. 
So looking back, I probably was trying to impress her, but I didn't think it at the time. So what I did is uh, we were having lunch that day or dinner. I saw her and someone said, hey, there she is. So I was like, in my bold self, I'm going to go talk to her. So I walk over and I said to her, hey, are you Hope? And she turns around, you know, she's got this little orange hat on, I still remember. And she said, yeah, why? And I said very, you know, confidently, hey, there's a bunch of guys on the basketball team asking if they should date you or pursue you or whatever. What do you want me to tell them? Kind of like, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm the caveat here. <laughs> and she looks at me and says, I think you should tell them to get in line. My jaw dropped, and I was like, you arrogant little girl, you. So I said, you got it. And I turned around, and I told my buddy, it was October 14th, 2014. I said, I will never talk to that prideful girl ever again. You know, lo and behold, two months later, we were dating. And so, uh, but here was the moral of the story. I was trying to impress her. And if she was up here, give a little caveat. A girl had, you know, dared her to say that because college, you know, Christian colleges are crazy. But nonetheless, uh, when trying to impress someone, at times it can go well or it can, it can go really good. And there are certain times when you need to impress someone, like your spouse, you should always try to impress them. But there are times when you try to impress and you're getting off track. You see, in this series, we have covered that Jesus, he, he came for us. And last week, we talked about how he didn't want professionals and how that's very comforting that Jesus doesn't want professionals. And if he does, we should all just go home and wrap it up. And today, we are talking about how he is not impressed. And there is this idea, how we're gonna kind of jump into this talk is when trying to impress someone we pretend and desire approval. We pretend. When you're trying to impress someone, and it happens all the time in church, you will see someone or you know, something and you'll say, man, if I can pretend, if I can put on a facade or a mask, then I will receive approval. Now, the problem with that is when it comes to God, he is too smart and too wise that you don't have to impress and you don't need to pretend. That God, there's a way to receive approval from God, and it's not the way that you would think. To carry this idea or this analogy about a hospital, when you come to the point where you need a hospital, you're past the idea of pretending. You're past the idea of trying to impress. You've reached the point where you're like, you know what? I don't care what people think. I don't care what they say. I don't really care about the approval of others. I need a hospital. I need a doctor. And there was one pastor who said it this way, and I think he says it best, and it's from Larry Osborne. He says this, I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. If there's guys in this room that I've met with over the past three or four years, I've probably said this to them a hundred times. This is something myself, even in uh, seeking to start a church, I've said this over and over and over. I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. You see, as an individual, when you live to prove something and to impress someone, you are no longer living to please God. You're looking for others to do that. And you can get off track as a church really fast, really fast. When you're trying to impress, when you're trying to prove something, instead of just saying, what does God want me to do? Or what does God want us to do? Living in this reality, I have nothing to prove and no one to impress is very important because aside from that, uh, we simply have a person to love. 
right? We don't have anyone to impress. We have nothing to prove. We just have a person to love. So today's title is He is Not Impressed. And we're going to look at this passage in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. Uh, This first title I have is He is Not Impressed with Titles. He's not impressed with titles because there are people, and it's not you, it's probably going to be someone you know, that they would try to leverage a title so that you would be more impressed. And it's not you, it's just someone you know. It's, you know, this coming Thanksgiving when you're with the family, someone will try to impress you with a title. But let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Let's look at verse 9 just for a second. A parable is simply a story that Jesus is telling. And a story he's telling is a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly truth. And sometimes Jesus would tell a parable and he would make it a little confusing. Meaning you couldn't understand what he was saying and that was kind of the point so you would dig deeper. In this parable, he actually says, hey, here's a parable and here's the meaning of the parable. The meaning of the parable are there are people who trust in themselves that they are righteous. People that they have it all together. And they will treat others with contempt, meaning below them. In verse 10, it goes on to say, Two men, and here's the parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now you have to know this day and time and age. And here's what happens. In order to connect with God, you had to go up to the temple. You had to walk the steps. You had to go to the temple in order to connect with God. Two men went up to pray. This parable is teaching really about how to pray and what type of prayer God hears. One was a Pharisee. We've defined this a little bit over the past couple weeks. A Pharisee is someone who will view themselves higher because of their religious achievements, meaning they have a title. And because of their title, they would view others with contempt. A tax collector, we've also defined as people who would think that the building would just catch up in flames if they walked in. You see, you have a Pharisee and you have a tax collector. Pharisees had a title and they believed that God, believe this, that God would love them more because of what they have done. That maybe they went to church enough, maybe they grew up in a Christian home, they went to Christian school, they didn't say the cuss words, they didn't smoke the stuff, they didn't drink the stuff, they didn't hang out, you know how the phrase goes. But they didn't do any of that. And they thought God loved them more. And what God does is he cuts through all of that. And here's what I think is true or how we'll define this is this. When seeking to impress, we always judge ourselves against someone below us. When you're seeking to impress someone or impress God, it is tremendously easy to find someone around you who is lesser than you. With contempt, you can find your neighbor you can find your coworker. You can find someone at church. You can, we will view ourselves and we will look down on others so that we will elevate ourselves. This is, this is age-old stuff that has happened with the human heart. And so when we are seeking to impress God, here's why this is tricky. When you seek to impress God, you can't impress God. You want to know why? Because God sees the heart. And when he sees the heart, he sees right from wrong and what we genuinely mean. That you can't really impress God on your own because you'll judge yourselves against your neighbor. 
And here is the tricky part about today as we talk about impressing and pride and all this stuff. When you seek to elevate yourself over someone else and view them below you, pride will set in in our hearts very, very fast. Maybe we read our Bibles more. Maybe you pray more. Maybe you give more. Maybe you serve more. Maybe you raise your hands during worship. I don't know, right? You, you have this idea that you are above them. And God is not impressed with titles. He's not impressed with your background. He's not impressed with your achievements. We'll talk about in a second. But he's just not impressed. And number two, he is not impressed with resumes. He's not impressed with resumes. There are a type of people that not only want to impress others with their title, but also with their resumes. This happens all the time uh, when you're in seminary, which would be a Christian college where people want to go to be pastors and stuff like that. Now, just to say this, I'm not against education in any way because this will be the second joke I have. I've been to seminary. I think it's important and it's very vital uh, to grow as a, as a pastor. But what they hand out at seminaries is, is what's called a master of divinity. And I always was perplexed by that because then you have guys walking out saying that they've mastered God. How do you master God, bro? Well, you know, I took a few classes. I got a 4.0. And it's like, well, I didn't know. His thoughts are higher but not above you. So you got him mastered, right? People try to master or they impress with resumes. And let's look at this passage in verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. So they've went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, he's standing by himself. And here's what's always true. If you're walking in pride or you're walking trying to impress people, typically, typically, you are by yourself. Because doesn't pride just repel people from you? Or don't, and this is probably easier to understand, don't others who have pride repel you from them? You just no longer want to be around them. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God. I thank you, I am not like other men. What a, what a prayer. Thank you, I'm not like that tax collector, the sinners, right? Thank you, I'm not like the really, really bad people, right? The ones that in your mind, right, they, they couldn't really receive God's grace. Thank you, I'm not like them. And he goes on, extortioners, which is just robbers or unjust adulterers because they're, they're really bad. Or even this tax collector, right? So he is with contempt. He's pushing the man down. He's elevating himself. He's using his resume to impress God and those around him. And this is what he says. I fast twice a week. Is that a good thing to do as a follower of Jesus? This is not a trick question. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you're fasting, bro. I give tithes of all that I get. Is it good to give a tithe? Absolutely. The Bible tells us. Go to the next slide. But the tax collector standing far off. So you got two of these guys. You got the Pharisee on this side, and he's like, God, I am, I'm just so pleased I'm not as bad as others. I thank you that I don't cuss as much as they do or do this or say that. I thank you I go to church and that if, you know, I'm, I'm definitely better than them because when you judge yourself against someone to your right or your left, you always will elevate. Then on the left side, we'll, we'll come over here for this guy, not picking on this side of the crowd, but we'll say you're the tax collector, right? He says, standing far off, and here's what's true about people. When you're standing far off and you've done wrong, you believe that you are far from God. You think you're far off. And the Bible says this, 
He is not far from each and every one of us. The lie to believe that you are far from God is from the pit of hell, that you, you're not far from God, you're actually very near, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Meaning, it was his perspective. It was his perspective of God. He wasn't looking to the Pharisee. He wasn't looking to those below him. Because often, when you hear a sermon or a good song or a good verse, if your mind goes to someone else and not yourself, chances are you're not allowing God to do the actual work it's meant to do. If you sit in a sermon like this, or I sit in a sermon like this, and I don't preach it to myself, but I think of everyone else, chances are I'm not allowing God to do the work he's allowed, he's wanting it to do. Or if some of you, you hear a sermon, you like send it to your son or daughter, it's so tempting, isn't it? You need this one, right? <laughs> and you're like trying to play Holy Spirit, right? Things like that. Maybe, maybe God wants to do something in your heart instead, but he beats his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, he wasn't trying to use a title. He wasn't trying to use a resume. He wasn't trying to pretend. And and here's how I would like to say, say this, and we'll hone in on this point for just a moment. God interacts with who we really are, not who we pretend to be. If you want to connect with God and you feel like it's just he's out there, he's someone else, he's someone different, he's not for you, it's not personal, chances are you're trying to pretend. You're trying to put on a facade or a title or a resume. And as, as, as we started this conversation, God, he sees our heart. So he's not impressed. And the tax collector, as unreligious as he is, It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter of any of that stuff. God, he sees the heart and he says, hey, I see it all. He realizes that he needs to pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because that's who he actually is before God. You see, if you come to God and you think that you can look down on others with contempt, chances are God's looking down on you with contempt and saying, you should cry out because we judge ourselves against someone else. And here is why God is so, so good. Because he is patient enough to get us through the process of reaching this point. Because when you go to a hospital, like we said, you're past the idea of trying to impress. You're past the idea of trying to pretend and play the part and look the part. You're past the idea of what are they going to think? What are they going to say? You're past all of that. And God is so good, he's patient enough to allow the process for you and I to get to that point. He's that kind. The Bible says it was the kindness of God that leads to repentance, meaning a turning, meaning you're just, just kind of done with you or, or faking it or having to do that. And God would rather us be real. He'd rather us be real than pretend to be right. It doesn't impress him, and it's not something that gets either him or church excited. He didn't come just to play church with us. Number three, he is not impressed with self-exaltation. With self-exaltation. We'll look at verse 14. We'll be in this one for the remainder of our time. It says in Luke 18, 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down. And if you underline in your Bible and you're kind of into that, underline, they went up to pray, they went down. He said, this man went down to his house justified. 
Justified is just a church word that means this. Just as if you never did it. Meaning, when you are justified in the eyes of God, he will treat you as if you've never done it. He will take all of your past, all of your wrong, and he'll give you all of his right. Rather than the other, and here's what's important, for everyone. So whether it's the tax collector or the Pharisee, he says everybody. He doesn't give any stipulations of your background or what you look like or what you talk like. He says everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, humility is just a tricky thing to talk about, is it not? Because the moment you think you are humble is the moment you are what? Not. Right? You're not talking to someone like, how you doing? They're like, man, just been so humble lately. <laughs> right? You're like, wow. Um, humility is just a slippery slope because the moment you think you have it is the moment you don't. Now, it doesn't mean we don't talk about it, Right? Now, have you ever been in a time where you just needed humbled in life? Just needed brought down a few notches, right? There are times when God is so kind and gracious. He loves us too much not to just, just knock us down a little bit. And maybe I, I have too many stories and I'll try to just, you know, restrain myself. But there are times, maybe it's when you got married, you know, your marriage just kind of bring you down a few notches, right? In my 20s, I don't, I don't know if this is how it works, but it feels this way. In my 20s, I felt like I was doing really good. Like I was just doing really good. I was walking with God. I was probably pursuing humility. And now I look back uh, in my early 20s and I'm like, dear Lord, help that boy. Someone take him under their wing and whip him into shape, right? And then it probably feels that way now. So in 10 years, in my 40s, I'm like, oh no, he started a church. Someone help him, right? Because the older you get, it brings perspective. But there are things that just humble you or if it wasn't marriage, it's probably your kids. Don't the kids just bring you down a little bit the first time they lose it in front of everyone and you're like, they've never done that. Uh, you just, there's things that bring humility. And humility is what God does is he allows his word as a mirror for us. Not a magnifying glass, but a mirror to us. And here's what is important about this passage and important for us to know. When pursuing humility or trying not to be about ourselves, you don't pursue humility to be exalted, right? And some of you would read this and be like, okay, if you exalt yourself, God will bring you down. But if you humble yourself, God will bring you up. The, the wrong idea of thinking is like, okay, I need to be humble so that God would exalt me. That's the exact opposite. You pursue humility because it honors God, not because you pursue being exalted, but you pursue it because we view ourselves in the right lens. So in this idea, I have four questions as a little exam for all of us. How am I doing? How am I doing? This isn't to send to your mom or your son or your grandma or your neighbor or your dog or your cat. This is for us. How am I doing? Number one, number one, am I the hero? My mentor, he asked me these questions and he said, humility is not something that you accidentally fall into. It's not like one day you're in your 40s or 50s and you're like just a humble guy. It's not going to happen. But you ask the question, am I the hero? So when you tell stories or I tell stories, do you play the victim? Woe is me. Everyone's against me. Are, are, are you the victim in the story? Or the opposite, are you the victor? Meaning, do people only hear about your or my successes? Things that we do really good. 
They don't remember the bad things or the things that you failed at. They remember the things you do really well. Number two, am I standing alone? It says in Proverbs 18, a man in isolation breaks out against all sound judgment. Meaning in verse 11 in this passage, he's standing by himself. No one else wants to stand with him. No one else wants to stand around them. No one, right? So often you got to ask yourself, am I standing alone? And even into this question a little bit more, I was just thinking about this idea. Those that you stand with, is it only those who are able to give you a higher standard or persona of who you are? Do you just stand with others who will elevate others' view of you? They'll give you more followers. They'll give you a better platform. They'll make you look better. If you're unable to stand with those below you, below you, in your eyes, maybe from an economic standpoint, if they don't bring you anything, chances are we're standing in pride. But humility brings itself down. We're not just standing alone. We're standing with the type of people that God would want us to stand with. Number three, do you shout for credit? Do I shout for credit? There's a story in the Bible of a man who built a city, and he built the city, and he dies. And after he dies, there's a man who comes after him. And after he came, everyone looked at the man and praised the man who didn't build the city. The guy who died and didn't get any credit, it says, better is a quiet man in wisdom than one shouting for the credit. It says in Proverbs 27, let another praise you. And not your own lips. Do you shout for credit? Do I shout for credit? Can I only tell people of the successes going along with number one? And number four, do I share the ball? Now, I don't think they're playing basketball in Luke 18. Maybe. I don't, I don't think so. But this is kind of to carry the analogy. Um, there is this idea, and this also goes along with this pastor, Larry Osborne, uses the, the freshmen always get smaller idea. Meaning, when you're a senior or you graduate from high school, do you remember going back to watch the, the, the team player, the high school football or basketball they play? And you'll kind of sit there and you'll be like, bro, how'd they get so small? <laughs> we were not that small. And you, you look at it and you instantly start to look down. And it's a normal thing. It's been happening since whenever. Uh, you know, newsflash, they didn't get smaller. You and I were that small, Right. But here's this idea, do you share the ball? Because once you start to view yourself in a lens that is elevated with contempt on others, you can no longer share any kind of ideas or you can't hear from anyone else because you and I would be better than those type of people. I'll never forget. I was 20 years old and I was just leaving uh, the workplace with our family business and I was headed into like the full-time vocational ministry thing. Right? And I was like feeling like God wanted me to do this. And it was like kind of around the last day. And there was this older guy uh, named George. And George had this way of saying things that you just heard it. And when he said it, you were like, that's fire. Right? It was just right on point. And I was getting ready to leave. And I would say my goodbyes. And I still remember, you know, hey, we'll see you guys. And I'm saying bye to George. He turns around like this, puts his hand on the table, and he points his finger at me. And he's older, right? I'm not going to say an age because some of you might, you know, be older. But anyway, he points his finger at me and he says this. And I'll just tell you what he says. Hey, sucker. And I was like, what, George? And he says, don't you ever forget where you've come from. Because humility remembers where you've come from. 
it remembers. You don't view yourself as, you know, you've arrived and you've done things really great. Humility, humility sees ourselves in the lens. You remember where you've come from. And so to carry on this in Luke 18, I want you to go down in your Bibles a little bit to verse 35. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. Am I trying to impress or invite? Am I trying to impress or invite? Because even when it comes with the idea of the vision of this church, trying to invite people into Jesus's family, I think there is a major reason why a lot of us don't invite. And I think it's right here in Luke 18. It says this, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be what? Silent. I mean, just imagine that. Jesus walking down uh, Main Street, people are yelling, trying to get to him, and you're one of his followers. And someone is saying, Jesus. And you're like, shh. I mean, I think a lot of us do this unknowingly. I wonder if in your life and in my life, people are shouting for Jesus that we silence. And he, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Next slide. And when he came near, he said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What if Jesus asked you this question today? What if he just met you right now in your seat and he had, hey, what do you want from me? Do you want a title? Do you want a resume? Do you want external achievement? Do you want self-exaltation? What do you want from me? What a question. Very simply, he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Am I trying to impress people? Or am I trying to invite? Because I believe often we're so busy trying to impress someone that we can't hear the shouts they have. We can't hear the cries they have. We're just trying to impress. It was a couple months ago. I was with my wife and we were in the car. Whenever God wants to discipline me, he throws me right in a traffic jam. And uh, I don't know if any of you feel this way. Uh, a traffic jam will do something to me very, very strange. I don't know why it's always been that way. But once I'm in one, like, I'm in one. And so uh, I'm in this traffic jam. I'm going to see my friend. And uh, I texted him. And I said, hey, we're running late. Heaven is not going to have traffic this bad. Because to me, heaven doesn't have traffic because traffic is from the devil. So anyway, I'm in this traffic jam. And he texts me back, I hope so. Cut right to the heart. I'm so concerned about my life and my world and what's going on that I can't see others around me that I'm thinking, hey, maybe I should hope it does. Maybe I should stop focusing on myself and look to other people. And how we'll say it this way is we often live to impress God and he came to impart to us. And this is what the Bible would teach is what's called the exchange. Meaning you want to impress God and he came to impart to you, meaning this, he takes all of your wrong and he gives you all of his right. God sent Jesus to be sin on our behalf so that we could be made right with God. He takes all of your wrong 
and he gives you all of his right. You don't need to impress God. And, and, and we'll, I think we also, also should mention this and say it this way. We don't make Jesus look impressive. He already is. Amen. He already is. And here's why Jesus is already impressive. I told you in your Bibles to underline the up, the down, exalted, things like that. In verse 9, they go up to the mountain or to the temple to pray. Then he says, this man goes down to his house, justified as treated as he never did it. Then he says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here's what Philippians 2 says. He didn't exalt himself. He emptied himself. Jesus didn't come from, he, he came from above and he came down. And when he comes down, he lives a life you could never live. And the Bible says, so at the right time, God exalted Jesus. And everyone who confesses him as Lord and Savior, they will be saved. We don't make Jesus look impressive. He already is. In this prayer in verse 13, it says this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're new to church or new to God, this is a prayer of salvation, meaning God can save you. You can be made right with God. But the problem is for a lot of us, you've prayed this before, and you forgot, and I forgot, that it's an ongoing posture. It's not something you graduate from, so where you can look at other people and view yourself in a higher light. It's an ongoing posture. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because apart from Christ, that's who we actually are. You see, when the guy came to pray, he had so much shame. His head was down, and he's beating his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you come in shame to God, he treats you and I as a son or daughter meaning he exchanges all of our wrong and gives us all of his right. And you receive Jesus and his work, not your own work, not your own accomplishment, but what he did on the cross. There is forgiveness to be found. And for those of us who need reminded, there's no one to impress. There's nothing to prove. There's probably someone to invite. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reminder that apart from us, Jesus, you are already, already way, way impressive. You don't need us, God, but really if we want to impress you, the Bible says that we would come to you by grace through faith and that we could be impressive simply because of you, not because of us. And God, for those in this room or maybe listening, they, they need to cry out to you for a prayer of salvation. They've never said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I just want to give you that opportunity today. Really, the, the heartbeat of this church, that you would, you would be invited into his family, that you would become a son or daughter of God. That all you need to do is cry out to God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me. I put my faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And if you need to pray that or are praying that right now, would you just lift up your hand right where you're sitting just so I can pray for you? Awesome. Anyone else? Would you just lift it up so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are crying out to you for salvation. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. 
God, that you love us, not because of what we have done or can do, but because of who you are. And God, we thank you for your love and your grace. The, the, the awesome thing about you're not impressed with us is that you love us despite all of that. And the only right response is that we would love you in return. God, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Would you guys stand as we sing together?